Hello and welcome to Voices and Queries, the podcast from VNQ Books. VNQ Books publishes remarkable writing from Germany in English. I'm Katie Derbyshire, the Imprint's publisher, and I'm also a translator. In fact, I translated the book we're talking about today, Madja Manus by Birgit Weyer. It's a beautiful, award-winning graphic novel about an almost forgotten group of people, the 20,000 Mozambican workers who were contracted out to East Germany in the late 1970s, before the Berlin Wall came down. They're known in Mozambique as Madgermanes, which is a hybrid word, combining mad and Germans. These workers were assigned to East German factories, railway lines and coal mines, and they were told they'd be trained to help build industry in Mozambique when they returned home. But they arrived to a cold climate rather than a warm welcome. Workers were often excluded from society in their new home, and exploited by both governments. In fact, decades later, they're still campaigning to get their full wages from that time period paid out. Birgit Weyer sets this scene for this story brilliantly in her graphic novel. Birgit, can you set the scene for us? Where is it that you do your work? Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) I work in a studio in Hamburg, which actually is um, located in an old cousin. It looks more like a fortress. It homed. Prussian soldiers in the 19th century and now it's um, home of a lot of artists. We're 270 people working in this big old cousin. I have a studio with two colleagues, also illustrators, and that's where actually I create my books. And I'm happy to have this place because in Hamburg it's quite hard to find a studio. I had to move several times because the rents are so high and um, whenever I found a little place shortly after I had to move because something posh went in so I'm happy now to be in this uh, Genossenschaft which is we share the place it's ours we bought it from the city of Hamburg oh how wonderful so a kind of cooperative art factory if you like yeah yeah great yes that sounds familiar with the having to move quite often um so your first book Ich Weiß came out in 2008 which was the same year you graduated with a diploma in illustration tell us how you began making graphic novels Well, actually, um, I wanted to study art when I came back to Germany in 1988 because I was raised in East Africa, mainly in um, Uganda and Kenya. And when I came back in the late 80s to Germany, it was not familiar at all for me because I had no idea of the European culture of any Western culture so far because it was before globalization and handies and computers and everything. So when I went to art school to present my portfolio, um, they laughed at me. And actually, there was a big show of all the students of the Jahresausstellung, the, the, the annual exhibition. Yeah, the annual exhibition. And I didn't understand anything because it was the first video and installation and stuff. I had never seen something before. And I brought a portfolio with um, watercolor birdies and flowers and so on. So it didn't really match what they were looking for. And it didn't match what I was looking for. So I, I felt very estranged and I felt that I had no idea. I didn't understand the quotations, the context of, of this form of art. So I decided to go to something more um, reliable like literature and history because this has been (laughs) there already. And I studied German literature and history and made my, I got my master in 96, I think. 
but I always missed something. I always had the feeling I never really tried because I only showed my portfolio to some guy, but I never handed it in. So when I went 30, I thought I don't want to grow old and always have this morning. Oh, I actually wanted to do art, but well, somehow I didn't dare to try. So I handed, finally handed in and was being pregnant and having already one child and no good job. I, I thought I just want to try and they in Hamburg then for illustration they took me immediately and I that's how I started Brilliant. to study illustration and um, I didn't really want to do comics but I yeah somehow during my studies I yeah it, it combined because it's it's the right. word which I studied in literature and it's the drawing which I then did and in a way because I do a lot of like with the Mar Germanis I do a lot of um documentary comics actually so right. history again and politics comes in so actually I'm happy everything combined in a way yeah well it makes for some wonderful work you explain in the book that you first came across Mad as actual the actual people not in Germany but on a trip to Mozambique can you tell us a bit about them had you heard of them before and then what happened next No, I have never heard of them before, but my brother, who was born in Nairobi and studied in South Africa, he never lived in Germany and he moved to Mozambique. And when I visited him there first, I think in 2007 or something, there was a um, shortcut, electric shortcut, and um, it was very dark. And suddenly someone approached us and with a heavy Eastern German accent and said, oh, you're German and um, can I join you? <laughs> and when the light came back, which was just a minute after, I thought it, it wasn't a white German, it was a Mozambican. And I was really astonished when he yeah. told me that he lived for a long time, I think eight years or something, in Karl Marxstadt. And he was um, working in a factory um, where he was punching keys. It was a very stupid work. He said he always had the same arm movement yeah. and he learned German. And when he came back to Mozambique, he said he couldn't use any of it because nobody was interested in his language skills. And he only actually had this one arm movement brought back. There was no industry where he can <laughs> use it. And I felt very ashamed that I never heard of these contract workers being in Eastern Germany in the GDR, I only knew about Cubans and Vietnamese contract workers. Right. And um, so when I came back to Germany, I did a bit of research. And whenever I talked to Western German friends, nobody knew about this. Um, so I thought maybe I can make a little comic about it for a newspaper. And the next time I visited my brother, I wanted to find this guy, but he had an accident and he had died. Oh. But I soon, when I, when I looked for him, I came across other Marjamanas because they have a network. They're still in contact and they still meet because they then can talk German and can share their memories because yeah. nobody else really associates with Sonderangebot or they never have seen snow and all this. So they're still all in contact. Yeah. And then... When I started to interview them, I, I noticed that it's much too complex for a short comic. And um, then I c came back to Germany and I made contacts like with Emiliano in Dresden and um, with those who stayed in Germany. And then it, it, it added another topic. It, it changed. Those who went back had to tell different stories than those who stayed in Germany. And also in their memory, the GDR was different. For those who went back to Mozambique, the GDR was the land of milk and honey. <laughs> and those who stayed in Germany had a bit of different memory. So this was yeah. 
interesting for me to see. And then it took a long time for me to really allow myself to make this book because I said, well, who am I? I'm a West German white woman and yeah. I never lived in Eastern Germany. I'm not a Mozambican. I'm not a contract worker. So who am I to tell the story? But finally, after talking with so many contract workers and I always asked the same question do you think I could I could tell the story and they always said yeah nobody did so far so just try yeah go for it thank you yeah I'm very pleased that you did um if I can make out a common thread in your work it's it's probably that you you seem to love telling people's life stories you do so in, in a number of your books Im Himmelis Jahrmarkt and of course in Machiamanis and in the, one of the more recent ones Lebenslinien how do you find those stories? And, and you've touched on it a little bit. How do you put them down on paper without exploiting or betraying the people behind them? Well, the first one you mentioned, Im Himmel's Jahrmarkt, it was easy because they're all dead. They couldn't really yes. um, refuse or <laughs> complain. And even, right, that's your grandparents? Yeah, my grandparents. But even yeah. there, I felt quite um, strange when the book appeared because I... Yeah, I thought, yeah, I, I really would have liked them to, um, yeah, to appreciate what I did or I didn't really want to exploit them. I wanted to tell their story. With the others, you mentioned it's easier because I always asked for permission. So yeah. when I did the interviews with the Marjamanis, they knew I wanted to make a comic and um, I gave them the book when it was finished and they, they gave me their yeah absolution there it was okay yeah. for them yeah they gave you permission yeah oh, yeah they gave me the permission to do so yeah and with the Lebenslinien it was even more easy because um I always did the interview and then I made the comic and then I sent the finished comics back to them so they could um give me critique and often I had to change a lot sometimes okay. only text sometimes yeah. the pictures yeah. yeah these are so it was for, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just a little explanation Sorry. about Lebenslinien as a, as a series of, of short four-page life stories of people who've kind of moved around the world in various directions, right? Yeah, it was published in the Berliner Tagesspiegel. It was only one page. So I had to squeeze a whole life into 16 wow. panels, which was quite difficult. But it also, um, yeah, it was a really nice work. I like to do it. I was very sad when the Tagesspiegel stopped the oh, comic Seite no completely. No more comics in that, no, it's photocop- that paper. Yeah, I think. Oh. No more comics. Oh. So you've talked about having grown up in East Africa, even though you're born in Munich and living in Hamburg now. Does the place where you live influence the art that you make? Um, For a long time, I said no, it had no influence. But growing older, I would say yes, very much so. And I think especially um, for me, when I was small, pictures were everywhere because in all the little shops and dukas and in Uganda and Kenya people painted what they are selling outside because there were so many people illiterate so when I went to school for me it was I didn't understand if I can draw why do I have to write because everything I can explain (laughs) I can do with a picture yeah and I think this is something I realized when I got children that you don't have this in Germany. Everything is in text. You don't have this many pictures. And um, like also in Kenya, I I think 
I don't know now, but in the 90s, also the political posters where parties campaigning, they always have the photo of their candidate and a symbol, like he's the cock or a candle or something, okay. so that people know I want to vote for him and then I make my cross next to the picture of the candle or key or pictures like this. So you don't have this here. So I think, yes, there are so many ways I think I have been influenced by by not a certain style, but a, of a way um, everyday life is and, and how the pictures you see, the yeah, the context you're, yeah. you're living in. I think it's, it's a heavy influence. A different way of communicating in different places, yeah. yeah. And in several of your books, like Majamanis and, and Lebenslinien, you explore identity and culture and all these different forms of migration. I'm going to guess that it might be your own life story, but let me ask anyway, what is it that draws you to those kind of themes? Yeah, it is my own life story because I've moved very often. Um, I had to change school very often um, because I had a hippie mother. I'm not a the child of diplomats or something like this, <laughs> Siemens manager or so. And she was very young and she was very, she was moving around a lot. So in grade four, I had to change school four times and I had to move places yeah. and I didn't like it as a child because as a child, you're normally quite conservative. You want to have your routine. And in a way, I never, I never felt completely at home in Hamburg, even though I'm living here now for, I don't know, nearly 30 years. So it's something which is, um, which I question myself all the time. What is, yeah, where do you, where do I belong to? And what, yeah. what happens if you move around a lot? That, that it's actually my own story, which I'm interested in, and that this is a topic which is, um, yeah, I'm related to. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about color. Some of your work is black and white, and some uses one or several bright colors. Magimanis is, is printed in black and white and this particular shade of sort of dark gold, which I find very difficult to describe. Why did you pick that particular color? Originally, I always um, worked in black and white because it's easier if you do your own little books and sell them, you can just go to a copy shop and it's much cheaper than doing color. Um, yeah. And that's how every comic drawer, I think, starts is that you do the little fanzines. Yeah, that's how I started. And um, all the the African people I drew, they always look kind of black faced because they were completely black because I, mm. I had no shades. I always worked in completely black or white with no gray scales. So mm. I wasn't really happy with this sort of way I dealt with skin color. And when I started to do the Marjamanis, I had the feeling I have to change this. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I looked for colors, so I s s thought, okay, then I stick to black and white, and then I, I choose a gray scale uh -huh. for the skin color, but they looked so so sad <laughs> in a way. Well, I didn't like this black and white and gray, yeah. so I looked for another color, and then I had the idea to to give them a gold color. So because this the, the, the black skin color is, is often seen as a... Um, as a manco, yeah, a, as a, a burden, or yeah. So I thought, why don't don't I change it? That all the white people they look kind of unfinished, and the Mozambicans they have this gold color. And when I told this 
to Johann the publisher, he was laughing at me and I said, do you know how much it costs to print gold? <laughs> gold is quite difficult to print. You have to print two layers. And the next thing is, even though if he would have done so, it would have been a bad idea because it has this yeah. shining, reflecting thing. And then, um, yeah, it wouldn't have looked good, not as a skin color. So I, I thought I've, maybe I find something which is quite close. And um, I found a, a tone which was looking very golden yeah. at my computer. But when it was printed, it looked more like <laughs> olive, <Yeah. laughs> olive beige something. I was very sad <laughs> when I saw it. But now I got used to it. And some people who, who grew up in the GDR, they said it, it matches. It matches as a skin color and it matches to the GDR um, sort of everyday life because it was so without yeah. color. It was all in one tone. So somehow... Um, worked out. So looking at the comic on the page, Majamanis is full of these artifacts, so things like East German posters and Mozambican textiles, there's a lot of postage stamps, that kind of thing, all woven into both the background and the foreground. How on earth did you research that side of the story? Did you end up with this huge collection of objects on your desk? Or, and, and, and Do you have any favourites from that time? I wish I would have had all the objects, the real objects. I only had pictures <laughs> and the, um, yeah, I'd, oh. I I ordered a lot of books. I bought a lot of books and um, no, I don't think I can say I have a favorite. I like to explore how different things looked in East and West Germany and how different yeah. the aesthetic was really. That was interesting for me. And what I found out and which I found very strange was when I looked for Mozambican artifacts or art, it was hard for me to find because you only have or mainly have books like African art or African design or African posters, but you don't, they don't really, they go for the whole continent. Maybe you have West African or South African, that's, that's the most regional you can get. And then I got when I when I had all these books where it's always only Africa as a whole, then I had the idea to put in this story with the proverbs that the one of the yeah. protagonists always has this African proverbs because nobody in Germany or Europe ever sees the difference if you quote a Ghanaian or a South African or Algerian proverb because everything is so exotic. I thought, well, that's a bit the way we tend to look on this continent it's one big country not a continent it's one sort of thing yeah. and I really had to try hard to find regional artists I could or a way of because again Mozambique is a colonial construction yeah. there are so many different languages and so many different cultures in this country and also so many different artistic Tradition. So in the northern part, they, are, they have more the Maconda thing. And in the southern part, they do more different sort of woodcuts. They have a different, yeah. again, a different tradition and aesthetic. So that was sad to see that we don't really look very close. Mm. Yeah. You've also illustrated other writers like Sylvia Ophili for German Calendar No December, which was published in the UK by Cassava Republic. Or most recently, the German novelist uh, Theodor Fontana, although that was less of a collaboration, things has been dead since 1898. So I was wondering as a translator whether that's, that's <laughs> similar to translation in a way. You have to find a new form for an existing piece of writing. 
how are the two things different for you developing a story from scratch and illustrating somebody else's story well actually i prefer to do my own story even though now with the Maja manas i i had to use the interviews and and i i had to stick close to the story with fontana it was easy as you said because he's dead and um the rights are free so and the um and Carlson gave me the permission to be very free. I didn't have to stick to the text. Oh, um fabulous. I could yeah, which was really nice because um I'm a big fan of Theodore Fontana because especially of his women characters, they're really great for that time. And yeah. in this story I found the the women he depicted I thought, ah, Theodore, you could have done better. So I decided <laughs> to tell the story from the, which is actually told from a male perspective or, or they're more in the focus. I turned it around and I told the story from the perspective of the three women. Mm. And um, this was really nice and it was fun. And um, sometimes I thought maybe I'm going to be hit by something from when he's sitting on his... Um, <laughs> On his cloud, thunderbolt. Up there, <laughs> on his cloud, looking down and what <laughs> have you done to my text? But I hope he, he somehow liked it. Yeah, well, it's lovely to have that freedom. Yeah, with, with, with German Kalender, it was very difficult for me because I didn't knew the story before I illustrated it because it was a project from the Goethe Institute. They put together an illustrator and an author wow. so that they make a project together. So I illustrated the story as it evolved, as it grew. So I didn't know the ending when I started to do the first illustrations. And this was strange because yeah. I, I couldn't really... Yeah, if you don't know how the story ends yeah. and, and it still has so many turns, then you don't have a really good feeling for the characters, right. I have to yeah. admit. So this was hard. Yeah, a whole new series of, of constraints. Mm, it's fascinating. A lot of your work, Birgit, addresses quite urgent social and political issues, not least Majamanas. My question to finish off is, is can literature and can art make a difference? <laughs> I hope so. Otherwise, I would sit under my table and cry instead of um, drawing on it. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I think... For example, the Mar Germanis. Um, this is a story which wasn't really or still is not very present in, in German story history or German storybooks, and yet it's part of, of German history. Yeah, I'm even more sad that it's not part of our common knowledge because we didn't really treat them well. I mean, yeah. we as, as, as a moral German whatever, because they didn't get their wages paid. And... Um, I know the GDR is not existing anymore, but I think there's a, yeah, we as the German Republic, we should feel obliged to pay them for what they have been, they have been working for 10 years in German factories. So I often have the feeling if, if we have books with characters telling their story, not only, a, yeah, history books, which are very, sometimes very, do you say dry? We do. It's always good to have stories with fictional characters as well. And I always try to stick as close as possible to the actual historic context because it's easier to feel empathy if you come closer to characters. And that's what I try with the Magermanis. Yeah. yeah, I think for me it was um, important to get the 
the characters fictionalized and set into a story which is also following a dramatic arc so that the reader can follow and can get close to the characters so that they then understand that everybody has the same set of feelings they you, you mean everybody everywhere in the world is is feeling homesick or is, is uh is sad of falling in love or is angry and so on and um and i think it's easier with a comic book or with a fictionalized stories and it still works i mean it, it it was also translated in france and i had a i had readings there in schools in southern france and they said yeah they they also played it as a theater play for me which i was very touched it was very nice and somehow it works they <laughs> Even though they're much younger, it's a different generation and they have never heard of the GDR, it somehow worked. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Birgit, for talking to us. It's been lovely to hear your voice and I'm really looking forward to seeing Magimana's out there in the world in English. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, I'm very excited that finally this book is in translated and so beautifully translated. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Birgit Weyer for today's conversation, to our wonderful podcast producer Susan Stone, and to Andy Sire for our theme tune. Coming up on our next episode, we turn the tables as author Musa Akwonga joins us on the podcast to interview me about translating Madjamanas. Thank you for listening. I'm Katie Derbyshire. Bis dann! This podcast is co-funded by the European Union's Creative Europe Programme.